Welcome to Clothes Horse, the podcast that loves a really good secondhand velvet couch. You know, some people say heaven is a place on earth. I say heaven is a place on earth with a really nice green velvet couch. (laughs) I'm your host, Amanda, and this is episode 127. Way back in January, which feels both like it was last week and like it was a hundred years ago, but it was just a few months ago, I spent some time laying out the sort of pillars of the clothes horse house, if you will. Although one might argue that it's more of a clothes horse stable. (laughs) Anyway, I had just finished driving from Pennsylvania to Texas with Brenda and most of my houseplants. And that three-day drive gave me plenty of time to think about Clothes Horse and where I wanted it to be, where I wanted it to go. Is this ringing any bells for you? (laughs) Well, here's a reminder of those pillars, those load-bearing beams of the house of Clothes Horse. Number one, this is one we throw out here a lot, progress, not perfection, because it's the pursuit of perfection that sets us up for disappointment and frustration and ultimately, you know, giving up. It's the worst. Number two is the personal is political. Your stories help share the values and actions of others. I want Close Horse to be a platform for voices from our community. Hence the regular use of audio essays around here. I love them. The ones in the last episode were so good. I just have been smiling to myself all week thinking about how great they were. Last year, I worked with others to launch clotheshorse.world, RIP, as a platform for photos and written content directly from our community. And you know what? I'm going to be honest. It wasn't the right time. It wasn't the right team. Maybe somehow it wasn't even the right place for that project, and I definitely learned a lot from it. Until I can build a place like that again, and trust me, I want to, I'm looking to use this podcast as that platform, giving voices to those who are often unheard. That's most of us, right? Nobody really heard me until I started Close Horse, and I see how amazing it's been for me I know it's good for all of you. It's really, really important to me. In next week's episode, I'll be introducing the theme for our next round of audio essays, and I'm super excited about this one. It's been hard to keep it under my hat this week. (laughs) Number three, going back to these pillars or beams or what have you, I'm running out of metaphors here, Uh, slow fashion is for everyone. And that means having conversations and doing work toward making the slow fashion and sustainability movement more accessible and welcoming to everyone. We know it's not there yet. We know it's not even close to there yet. And we need to put in the work to bring more people in. Number four, small business is the future. I I truly believe this. The more I think about it, the more I believe it. You know how sometimes you get an idea and then over time you're like, well, yeah, I'm not into that idea anymore. This is one that I am so in on. I want to elevate more small businesses. I want to share their stories and I want to make shopping small second nature for everyone. It really is the future. Number five is secondhand first. 
we already know there's so much stuff in the world. Let's help people feel more confident and empowered to shop secondhand because right now, shopping secondhand first is not accessible to a lot of people. It's not second nature to a lot of people. It's not even welcoming to a lot of people. We have a lot of work to do there. Number six, this is my last pillar, is collaboration over competition. Why, oh why, is there so little collaboration within the slow fashion and sustainability community? I want Clothes Horse to be an agent of change in this area. We need collective action, meaning all of us working together, people we don't even know yet, people who don't even know about us yet. We want all of them here with us, working alongside us to change this world. I'm going to periodically remind you of these pillars because I've been using them as both a filter for episode topics and guests and a roadmap forward. Close Horse has reached this point And it's kind of an annoying point, to be honest, (laughs) where I receive a lot of cold emails from brands, designers, entrepreneurs in the sustainability space. Often, they just don't feel like the right fit for this platform. To be honest, I would much rather hear from all of you. Today's special guest checks off a lot of these pillars. Lillian is the owner of Retro Colorado Goods, where she sells vintage and secondhand finds via Instagram. She's also a reseller Instagram shop coach and the founder of Reseller Social. Today, we're going to talk about lessons she learned the hard way as a reseller and how she wants to share that knowledge with others. We'll also talk about our personal relationships with stuff, like we do a lot around here, and we'll wonder about how we could do better. And of course, we'll break down again the myths around secondhand selling and shopping. This is a long convo. I didn't want to split it into two episodes. I was like, I'm going to give it to you all, all at once. I'm trying to do that more often these days. So let's jump right in. All right. Well, Lillian, you know, before we get started, why don't you introduce yourself to everyone? I will do. So yeah, I'm Lillian. I'm originally from Tennessee. Spent about seven years in Indiana getting my education in psychology and uh, education. And then came to Colorado about a couple of years ago with uh, my wife and our three fur babies. And (laughs) um, they are definitely our children. And yeah, we enjoy going up into the mountains. Um, I ironically, I'm a big podcast listener. And yeah, I run Retro Colorado Goods. It's a secondhand online store, mainly found on Instagram. And I have recently started a page referred to as Reseller Social. Um, That's a place exclusively for resellers to talk about what we do, how we do it, um, and why we're so passionate about the secondhand movement. Awesome. That's how I found you is by all the work you've been doing with secondhand. So before we jump into that, I just need to know what kind of fur babies do you have? Oh my goodness. So we have two cats. Uh, We have Oscar who is a rag doll. (laughs) 
I know. I know. Yeah. Ironically, they're all secondhand pets. <laughs> no, um, same thing here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got them I, all as two-year-olds. Um, but so, yeah, Oscar's have been with me the longest. And gosh, he's like 15 plus pounds of fur and just, I love him so much. And then we have um, another cat. Her name is Bean. And she's like an eight-pound tortoise shell um, with a lot of personality. <laughs> she definitely she's they the, all do the torties they're right? all they're we all wild know when we got her but yeah we got her <laughs> and we were like oh she's kind of sassy and like yeah they're kind of known for that so she's definitely uh, adds <laughs> some personality and, and spice to the apartment that's her role <laughs> as our middle child um, of course <laughs> <laughs> and then last but not least we do have a dog uh she's technically a dog she's like nine pounds and pretty much acts like a cat <laughs> we yeah think maybe she was raised with cats and she's like, kind of wary of other dogs like she doesn't Aww. really and i'm like that's you boo <laughs> like you're the same and she's just like no that's different and scary um so, yeah, she's kind of skittish, but she's gotten a lot better in the couple of years Aww. that we had, we've we had her. And, yeah, her name is Juniper, and she goes absolutely everywhere with us, um, vacations and all. And uh, she's super fun. To. Oh, yeah. It's just she has separation anxiety, and honestly, so do we. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. Like, honestly, every time I'm on a trip, whether it's, like, for work or it's, like, a vacation – I hit this moment where I am just like filled with so much longing yes. for my cats. Like I'm just like I can't wait. I can't wait to see them again. I'm like looking at pictures of them, like laying in my hotel room, looking at. Even pictures though we're of together them. every day, I know it's funny how it works, right? But I definitely get that constantly, so I totally understand. Yeah, they run our household. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Mine just too. Just flat out. <laughs> So we're going to talk about secondhand resale, all things related yeah. to that today. And, you know, I thought we could get our conversation started by talking about, like, why you are so passionate about resale and secondhand. Oh, gosh, that's an amazing question. Um, because I did just happen upon it during the pandemic. Um you know, like I said, I got my education in um, psychology and higher education and then had moved out to Colorado during the pandemic and actually found reselling on Instagram, some local Colorado shops. Mm -hmm. um, and I loved, you know, their personalities and their passion for what they were doing and how they had just kind of essentially created something out of nothing. Mm -hmm. Um was starting their businesses and I got inspired to start mine. And then, yeah, I just became really passionate about the community and, and everybody, what everybody's doing within the community. Um, and yeah, the only time I had really spent shopping secondhand in the past was, you know, you go to Goodwill to get stuff for a Halloween costume in October. <laughs> wow, yeah. You know, like the classic, like, yeah. you know, I'm there during Halloween and my dad would take me to Goodwill when I was a kid. He was a big fan. Um, he loved how inexpensive the ties were. <laughs> um, they are. Yes, and there are so, so are. many. There's yeah, so he many. Has 
dozens and dozens and dozens because he would wear one every day. And so he liked having a really big selection. And <laughs> yeah, in a department store, you know, it's like 20 bucks or something per tie. Right. So, so yeah, that was his big thing was getting ties and he would get some clothing and he loved getting uh, frames um, at Goodwills and oh, stuff. Oh, good call. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's so smart. Um, so yeah, I had some exposure as a kid and would go to secondhand shops, you know, with my parents some, but they were just kind of one-offs. Um, and I didn't, it wasn't really related to any kind of bigger, like, you know, this is good for the environment or, you know, secondhand is good because of mass production, you know, it was just kind of something people did. And then, yeah, when I found the Instagram community and started my own shop, um, I'm definitely not one to half-heartedly do something. <laughs> I hear so you. I, yeah, I kind of <laughs> go in like feet first, head first, you know, just jump right in. And so I started learning a lot, um, you know, from your page and pages like it, you know, talking about overproduction and um, consumerism and why in secondhand is so important, important and making our things last a lot longer. Um, and so when I was finding out about what reselling can do, uh, I just really appreciated the possibilities, you know, it's kind of an mm-hmm. even playing field, you know, you don't really need a certain kind of education or certification to become a reseller. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so many different kinds of resellers out there, you know, there's clothing, there's home goods, there's vintage specific. Um, and so you can really just make it what you want to. And then yeah, at the end of the day, we're saving items from the landfill. Um, we're bringing them to people who don't always have access to those items, you know, physically being able to get to thrift stores, um, being able to go to Goodwill outlets, Goodwill bins, you know, those aren't all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it really is like a community. It's a, it's a countrywide community of people who love networking and having these connections of, shopping secondhand and want to break free of of overconsumption. Um, and I think that's very cool in this day and age where we're being told, you know, you need to have this to be cool and you need to have mm-hmm, this to, mm-hmm. yeah, be seen a certain way in people's eyes and to kind of reject that, uh, I think, is, is really cool. I mean, I love... Everything you touched on, I think, is so important, especially when we talk about secondhand. Is like there are the environmental aspects of it, which are super mm-hmm. important, right? The most sustainable thing is something that already exists. But on top of that, I, you know, something that I've noticed, like your story isn't unusual, and that I hear over and over again, like this is something I got into during the pandemic, right? And we're still in the pandemic, but it's definitely been a turning point for so many of us, myself included. I mean, I started Close Horse during the pandemic. And I think community and building mm. community in new ways became more important than ever 
because we couldn't go out and go about our day-to-day lives like we had mm-hmm. before. And there is such a strong secondhand and resale community on Instagram right now mm-hmm. that I just – I don't think existed in the same way before the pandemic. No, I agree with you. I agree with you on that. And I just love that on top of resale being the most sustainable option for selling and buying clothing – It also has this side effect, which is this really strong, supportive community. And I just see like sellers selling together. I see people building friendships with people they've never met in real life, myself included. There are people I talk to almost every day that I've never met in real life. I didn't (laughs) know before the pandemic. And they're they're important to me, Mm -hmm. you know? And I, I just love that like secondhand in itself has become this means of bringing people together who are all yes. unified on a mission that is so is so good you know yes <laughs> right it's yeah. amazing it's amazing and i think that like i mean something you know i've been t- posting about here and there and more off a lot actually on instagram is this like vitriol that is always being t- used like it's i don't know it's always being projected towards resellers on social media like oh you guys are ruining everything you're taking clothes away from so-called poor people you're you know you're you're capitalists you're greedy you're bad blah 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 and i'm Mm -hmm. like whoa whoa like what i see is this amazing community of people who's like really working hard to not only save clothes from the landfill but also educate others Mm mm-hmm so you, one of the things that you are doing is teaching people how to sell secondhand, yeah. right? How did you get into that? Like, what was the evolution into that and why? Oh, definitely. So in terms of, so during the pandemic, I was doing um, reseller social full time as well as doing some DoorDash, um, you know. Seven um, jobs. That's how it goes. Yeah, right? it's just what you do during a global pandemic. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I was just really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And, you know, I was applying for lots of jobs and not hearing anything back. And so I was like, well, I've already kind of taken a leap and invested in myself with this business. And I've gotten to know the community so much. And I just saw so many people really wanting help and information. Mm -hmm. And I saw a lot of other people having that help and information um, and either not having an outlet for it or giving it away just on their pages um, Mm -hmm. when their pages are mainly just for selling. And so I definitely wanted, I started Reseller Social, honestly, as kind of a hub for resellers to come together and share tips and tricks. Um, you know, if you're mainly a reseller, but have some way you want to be helping other resellers, you can go to this specific page instead of muddling your Instagram page for your shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to have a place to bring those community members together because we're often on our stories asking each other for advice or <laughs> asking for help with a problem. And you have to make like a close friends list if you don't want your customers getting confused and they're really just, <laughs> that's a you good know, point yeah they're just yeah. like well i i'm not a reseller you know you're not talking to me is this a space for me um 
but yeah, over like especially in the Instagram community, we want to be helpful to each other because there's not like this is a, there's not like a guidebook to starting reselling. Mm-hmm, <laughs> you just mm-hmm. have to googling a bunch of random stuff, um, just like by yourself on your couch. Um, and then you're like, oh, I had to do that. You know, I don't want other people doing that. And so you want to share that information. Um, and so, yeah, Reseller Social is a great place for people to share information they have for other resellers. Uh, there's going to be partnerships um, with reselling pages who have that info on, you know, how to actually make money, what goes into making reselling a business, you know, taxes don't have to be as scary as they seem. Um, <laughs> they do seem scary, though. They seem very scary. <laughs> I did it for the first time this year, and I'm still here. So that's some good news. Um, the IRS hasn't showed on my, uh, showed up on my doorstep yet. So, because <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, I'm a business. Like, it's so much more serious now. And, it is. It yeah. is. Yeah. And it is, but it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't have to be as scary as it seems. And so just having an outlet for that kind of information. And then, um, and yeah, I do have this background in uh, psychology and counseling and higher education and and student affairs is what my master's is called. Um, And so, yeah, I have this background in wanting to help people one-on-one, wanting to educate uh, wanting to be helpful, and so I've become interested in wanting to help coach people one-on-one and starting to do seminars and stuff um, for resellers to figure out how to go about their businesses and not have to do so much trial and error. Oh my God, seriously. You know, because yeah. that's just what people want, like a solid, this is what you should do, and unfortunately, <laughs> a lot of it's just trial and, and error. Um, but some of that could be saved. You can save other people from having to go through (laughs) if you're like, well, you know, at least these are like the pros and cons of what I tried. At least you have that information and can figure out what you want to do with it instead of just going in, in the dark, you know, just having nothing to go off of and having to Google random things on your (laughs) your couch while you figure out what you're doing. Oh, no, totally. I was talking to another friend last week and I said, you know, I can see because I have met so many people through the pandemic who became secondhand sellers, I can see how they are learning things the very hard way sometimes, right? Whether it's like buyers who don't pay, issues with shipping, calculating shipping wrong and losing money, like all of these Mm -hmm. things. Like so many people have to learn it the hard way Unlike so many other experiences out there, right? Because there isn't, like you said, there isn't like a go-to destination for this kind of job, for this kind of business, because it's kind of new, especially Mm -hmm. when we talk about it in terms of like selling online, right? Yes. So I have a question for you. Of all of the things that I'm sure you've had to learn the hard way (laughs) over the past couple of years, what are the things- Yeah, we could name them off. Right? What are the things that you- didn't know before that you wish you had known? Oh, gosh. Um, So I probably number one is gonna have to be shipping. I think that's what everyone (laughs) would say, right? Because I just (laughs) like, I, I haven't had like anyone specifically come to me about that. But I've seen stuff play out where I'm like, Oh, "Oh, I have a bad feeling about that. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it seems, it doesn't seem like it would be a big deal. You know, you ship stuff, you ship it, you know, right, you, just, you right. put it in a box and you put a label on it and, you know, everybody has shipped you know, packages to their grandparents or their friends. Yeah, you think it's easy. When you're, you're a like, customer, you're no like, what's the problem? It's just like <laughs> some shipping, right? I mean, honestly, though, I will say, you know, back, remember in 2020 when, oh my God, that sounds like, we're like, oh, remember back in know, the old right? days of 2020? And like November, <laughs> December, January, when the USPS was just falling oh, apart, gosh. right? Uh, you know, I would talk to friends who were, like, having a really hard time with customers being just so horrible. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, these people have to have sent a package in their life, right? It's like, at least one. Right. And so they know that after you hand it off, you've got, like, you're out of no it. No control. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, I mean, I'm sure everybody learned a lot of stuff the really hard way with shipping that year. But it also seems like... One of the lessons you kind of have, a lot of people, unfortunately, have had to learn the hard way is like the pricing around shipping. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's a big thing on Instagram as well because um, some shops list their items as like this is $20 plus shipping mm-hmm. and other shops will list it as $40 shipped, you know, shipping right. included. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that can be great because then a customer is just like, cool, I'm spending $40. You know, there's no like, oh, well, I didn't think shipping would be that much, you know, when the item was $20. Um, you know, sometimes it's a heavier item and shipping ends up being like $10. Oh, my gosh. Home goods? Like, forget oh, it. Right? Yes. I know. That's like a big part of the shipping is I wish I had kind of like had some more knowledge about it before jumping in. <laughs> feet first with home good <laughs> I mean once again I know that this is a lesson that so many people have learned the hard way but like imagine yeah. if there was someone out there who could say hey if you're gonna do home goods you need to approach it this way well you know? it's just like it's it's just like if you want to kind of like stick your toes in the water, it's like, yeah, maybe do clothing or linens or some people yeah. do like jewelry or um, vintage buttons and enamel pins, you know, some stuff like that. Easy. Um, yeah. 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 You're sticking it in a poly mailer bag. You're sticking it in an envelope. It doesn't need uh, – there's not as much like craftsmanship to the shipping procedures. Um and so, yeah, I always wish I had kind of not been not been so gung-ho about just, like, picking up, you know, whatever I thought was good, regardless of its weight or its size. <laughs> totally. Um, and just, yeah, flat out, when you're first starting out, you don't have that experience of shipping breakable items, and it does oh, take skill. It does. It's a skill. You have to, to learn. Um, and so, yeah, I've definitely, I learned that the hard way. <laughs> as many of us have had to do um but yeah it's just like stuff like that you don't really think about and isn't really talked about as much Mm -hmm. um in in the you know for the media that is out there for reselling um people aren't so much talking about like if you're buying heavy fragile things you know, the best way to make money on them is to be able to ship them across the country instead of finding a local buyer. Mm-hmm. But then you have to ship ship it across the country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, it's expensive. And you know, like postage rates have been going up. Yeah. Uh, packaging, like I think that people forget that packaging, especially if, especially if it's something fragile. Yeah, it costs money. and It takes time. And I think, 
you know, we're going to talk more about how a lot of people think that reselling is really easy and mm. like it's not fair that they should have to pay more than something costs at the Goodwill Ugh, to yes. get it. I know. Don't yeah. get me started. I know. But, but like shipping is one of those <laughs> many areas that like I feel like I am t- constantly bringing up that it's like shipping is not free. No. A smart seller who isn't charging you for shipping on the surface is in fact charging you for shipping by baking it into the cost. So it's up to you. Would you yes. rather just pay $40 shipped or would you rather pay $10 plus shipping? I don't know. But like I I do, I'm not going to lie. I kind of like when it's just like, it's this price shipped. I'm like, cool. I know what I'm paying. No, Fine. I totally get it. I totally get it. And that's why I have kind of switched over to that. Um, mm-hmm. More and more of my items are showing up as like $40 shipped. But that's because I have like a year and a half of... Totally. Yeah. Totally. I mean, I, you know. I couldn't have done that in the beginning. And oh, good I would have no. been totally yeah. off and um, underestimating shipping and rookie mistakes. Like I had a digital scale that um, only works if you put it on a wooden floor. Like it won't work if you put <laughs> it on a table. No, I know. <laughs> this is what you get when you buy like a cheapo little scale. <laughs> you know, you want to just like sure. get started in the least expensive way possible. And so you skimp out on, you know, maybe a nicer scale. And then I paid the price um, getting back charged for some packages. That uh. The weight wasn't correct. Um, and so, yeah, that was an early on mistake of just like stuff I just had to learn on the go. (laughs) You know, there wasn't a website that was like, this is what you need to think about. This is how Mm -hmm. you get better. Um, and just, it's just, you're not going to be the best when you first start out. It's just not going to happen and it will get better. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah, having to, having to, <laughs> Except <laughs> that I wasn't as good at this as I thought I would be <laughs> in the very beginning, because, um, uh, like yeah. you said, from the outside in, it's like, well, I can do that. Oh, totally. I mean, this is like <laughs> I see it constantly. I still see people getting like resellers getting bullied on Instagram by somebody oh, yeah. who's like, "What, a hundred dollars for that? I could go pick it up myself." And I'm like, "Good luck." I know. Good that's... luck finding that exact thing because yeah. that is like a find, right? Yeah. Um, so let's let's just break it down. So people think that being a reseller is easy, but like, mm-hmm. what kind of things do you do in a regular week or day or both? Well, definitely. So, so yeah, a lot of people think reselling can be easy, and I think a lot of us get into it because um, who doesn't love to go shopping? You know, right, right. Reselling seems like a lot of shopping, um, and like technically it is, um, but what we're doing is we're we're sourcing. We're sourcing for our shops, um, and we're trying to pick up particular items. You know, you're not just like grabbing a bag of whatever and figuring it out. <laughs> right, um, right. You're eva- yeah, you're evaluating items for their condition. Mm-hmm. Um, you're evaluating items for how much you have to pay for it. You know, it's going to be higher at an antique mall uh, or a thrift store as opposed to a garage sale um, or going to the Goodwill bins. You know, they do measurements by weight. So it is shopping, Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we're having to evaluate 
how much money we're going to be spending on the items and can we actually make a profit off of what we're having Mm -hmm. to spend. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, there's some traveling involved. Um, I travel around Colorado, you know, going to different shops, going to different estate sales. Um, So some people, I'm not a morning person, but some people go really early in the morning, you know, to get those goodies, you know, Mm -hmm. be one of the first few people in line. Um, So it's, it's interesting because... The biggest complaint I hear for why people don't shop secondhand, or at least don't shop secondhand as much as they would like to, is time. Um, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's like, that's why you pay somebody. Um, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly. their time. We yeah. spend our time doing this. And um, just because I enjoy what I do doesn't mean I don't deserve to be paid a living thriving wage for it um so I am shopping I am traveling around um but then there's also you know the gas and the miles on your car um those are part of the equation you know it's not really a job where you're sitting at home all day um, Mm -hmm. or can just be on a computer at a desk you know you've got to be going out sourcing items um and then once you get them home um sometimes there's well, all all the time there's cleaning. <laughs> of course, um, there's yeah. always cleaning. Um, but yeah. sometimes there's bending, there's painting, because um, we often find stuff that just needs a little bit of TLC um, mm-hmm. to get into someone's home, whereas other people would just throw it out because it's got a paint chip or you know a little crack or something. So there's the mending and there's the cleaning, um, and the cleaning is also something you don't really think about when you're first starting, especially with home goods. Um, cause everything needs like a different type of cleaner, a different type of process. Um, glass is going to be different from cleaning up brass. Um, you know, chalkware is going to be different from cleaning up wood. So you have to buy all these cleaning products to clean these different things. And you're learning these skills on how to clean these items up or mend these items. You know, a lot of clothing retailers end up learning how to sew uh, so they can mend clothing or upcycle clothing. Um, But they had to spend their time and maybe their money on a class or something, Mm -hmm, you know, to learn mm -hmm. those skills. Yeah, Um, totally. So, so yeah, stuff comes up of just, like, skills you're having to learn along the way. Um, And then, yeah, so that's all kind of, like, what's going in on a regular basis. And then during the week, um, I'm having to do record keeping. I have to keep uh, a record of all the money that's coming into my account. <laughs> yes. Because um, otherwise tax tax day would be very rough if I didn't have. <laughs> uh, I have to keep <laughs> up with that because if I don't, it gets me- messy. <laughs> um, um, yeah, probably yeah. very fast and easily. And I think that that is one of those things that a lot of people, unfortunately, learn the hard way. Yes, guilty, guilty. Yeah, um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's just something you don't really think about, but record keeping is something um, you've got to do, and it can be easy just to, like, bring the items home and start selling them, and then you don't really remember what you paid for each item, <laughs> yep. you know? And so you do have to keep a record of, like, what you're spending versus what you can sell something for. Um, so you're keeping records during the week. Um, during the week, I I don't typically go 
uh, a week without like something happening on my page to like a drop um, where I'm posting a lot of items for sale or a live sale with um, other seller partners um, or I'll, sometimes I'll do story sales. Uh, those are just items posted to my stories, um, kind of a quick seller form. Um, but so yeah, usually about once a week I'm doing one of those methods to get my products out there. Um, and so you have to do prep, uh, for a drop, you know, you've got to clean everything, you've got to photograph everything, you've got to stage everything, um, you know, do filters and then get them posted to your page. And again, that's just time. It takes a lot of time mm -hmm. to do those things. And then, um, if you're doing a live sale, you've got to get your area set up. You've got to figure out what items you're pulling. Um, and then live sales themselves, I really enjoy them and, um, they're very profitable for me, but they're extremely energy consuming. Oh my goodness. I bet <laughs> when I see all of you doing that, I'm like, like Wawa Vintage will do it for like, I swear, six hours that a pop. She's a machine. She's a machine. I, I don't know where, and she's got like a toddler. I don't know where. I don't know how she does it. Energy I know. stores are coming from. Yeah. But yeah, she's like live sale royalty because um, she's just got it down pat knows what to do, you know, connects with her customers, has really fun live sales. And then, yeah, she's just able to have that stamina um, to keep going. Um, but, yeah, so that's how she's able to do really well on her page is she really utilized live sales and goes live a, live a lot. Um, but just, you know, that's just not for everybody. No, um, no. And so, yeah, some people can only go live once a month or, you know, a couple times a month, um, just for their energy levels. But then once you've done a live sale, you have to connect with every single person. Oh, I bet. I think yeah. about that. I'm like, you got to get all your money and get all the shipping info. And I just, I'm sure that sometimes that goes really awry. So it, yeah, it just, it can. And again, it's that record keeping mm -hmm. skill and, um, and yeah, it can be a lot because on a website, you know, you just click add to cart, you check out all your info gets sent straight to my computer. Um, you know, and I send off your package. Whereas on Instagram, um, you do have to individually message each person, you know, here's my payment info. Can I get your address? Sometimes they forget to send the address and then you have to go back. You know, it's just like it right. has the flaws of connecting with other human beings. And then my flaws as a human being, um, you know, forgetting <laughs> to ask for the address sometimes. <laughs> you know, yeah, no doubt. It just happens. Let's take a moment to thank some of the incredible small businesses who keep Clothes Horse going via their generous Patreon support. Selena Sanders, a social impact brand that specializes in upcycle clothing using only reclaimed vintage or thrifted materials from tea towels, linens, blankets, and quilts. Sustainably crafted in Los Angeles, each piece is designed to last in one's closet for generations to come. Maximum style, minimal carbon footprint. Shift clothing out of beautiful Astoria, Oregon, with a focus on natural fibers, simple hardworking designs, and putting fat people first. Discover more at shiftwheeler.com. Late to the party, creating one-of-a-kind statement clothing from vintage, salvaged, and thrifted textiles. They hope to tap into the dreamy memories we all hold. Floral curtains, a childhood dress, 
the wallpaper in your best friend's rec room, all while creating modern, sustainable garments that you'll love wearing and have for years to come. Late to the Party is passionate about celebrating and preserving textiles, the memories they hold, and the stories they have yet to tell. Check them out on Instagram at Late to the Party People. Vino Vintage, based just outside of LA. We love the hunt of shopping secondhand because you never know what you might find. Catch us at flea markets around Southern California by following us on Instagram at vino.vintage so you don't miss our next event. Gabriella Antonis is a visual artist and an ethical trade fashion designer. But Gabriella is also a radical feminist micro-business. She's the one-woman band trying to help you understand why slow fashion is what the earth needs. The one-woman band to help you build your own brand. She can take your fashion line from just a concept and do your sketches, pattern making, grading, sourcing, cutting, and sewing. The second option is for those who aren't trying to start a business and who just want ethical garments. Gabriella Antonis will create custom made-to-measure garments just for you. Her goal is to help help one person of any size at a time, including beyond size 40. To inquire about this serendipitous intersectional offering of either concept, DM her on Instagram to book a consultation. Please follow her on Instagram and Twitter at Gabriella Antonis. And that's Gabriella with one L. Gotta get that spelling right. Dylan Page is an online clothing and lifestyle brand based out of St. Louis, Missouri. Our products are chosen with intention for the conscious community. Everything we carry is animal-friendly, ethically made, sustainably sourced, and cruelty-free. Dylan Page is for those who never stop questioning where something comes from. We know that personal experience dictates what's sustainable for you, and we are here to help guide and support you to make choices that fit your needs. Check us out at dylanpage.com and find us on Instagram at dylanpagelifeandstyle. Salt Hats, purveyors of truly sustainable hats, hand-blocked, sewn, and embellished in Detroit, Michigan. Find us on Instagram at Salt Hats. Gentle Vibes Vintage. We are purveyors of polyester and psychedelic relics. We encourage experimentation and play not only in your wardrobe, but in your home too. We have thousands of killer vintage pieces ready for their next adventure. See them all on Instagram at Gentle Vibes Vintage. Thumbprint is Detroit's only fair trade marketplace located in the historic Eastern Market. Our small business specializes in products handmade by empowered women in South Africa, making a living wage, creating things they love like hand-painted candles and ceramics. We also carry a curated assortment of sustainable and natural locally made goods. Thumbprint is a great gift destination for both the special people in your life and for yourself. Browse our online store at thumbprintdetroit.com and find us on Instagram at Thumbprint Detroit. High Energy Vintage is a fun and funky vintage shop located in Somerville, Massachusetts, just a few minutes away from downtown Boston. They offer a highly curated selection of bright and colorful clothing and accessories from the 1940s to the 1990s for people of all genders. Husband and wife duo Wiley and Jessamy handpick each piece for quality and style with a focus on pieces that transcend trends and will find a home in your closet for many years to come. In addition to clothing, the shop also features a large selection of vintage vinyl and old school video games. Find them on Instagram at High Energy Vintage 
online at highenergyvintage.com and at markets in and around Boston. If you had told me like three or four years ago that people would be selling live on Instagram or just on Instagram in general, you wouldn't have I believed would, it. Wouldn't have believed it. And I feel like this is something, especially selling via live, that really started to come up during the pandemic. And I've like wondered, like, what's the advantage of doing it that way? Because it's so exhausting. I mean, I enjoy coming to coming to these events, whatever you want to call it, tuning <laughs> in. Yeah. Right. Tuning because in. I feel like I'm hanging out around people. Like exactly. it totally makes me think of QVC. Yeah. Home shopping or network. Tupperware parties is another totally. reference I like to make. Yeah. And it like even I used to when I was a kid like to fall asleep with like QVC or something on because it felt I just liked listening to the people talk to each other. It's like um, comforting. Yeah. 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 And so I often if I see a seller's going live, I'm like, yeah, I got to tune in and give it a listen. And so I can see why it's so appealing for us in the audience. But why is it good as a seller? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so I really enjoy it because so every single time I go live with partners, I gain new followers. Mm, makes sense. Yeah, because everybody who goes live together, all their followers get a notification. And so mm-hmm. you end up joining the live because you're following one person and then you like all these people, you end up following them all. And so, and people who are tuning into live sales and following you, you know, those are people who are actually interested in being a customer. They're interested in your goods, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't follow because they liked your funny videos or Um, you know, just like a random reason people can end up following your page, but they're really likely to become a customer. Mm -hmm. And so even if they didn't purchase directly from me during that live sale, you know, they catch the next one. Um, they ended up following me and then going to check out what's available on my page, um, and buying something else. Um, so it's a great way to connect with people who are really interested in actually purchasing from you, um, who want to be buying things secondhand, Um, live sales, I also tend to have the most sales at one time. Um, Mm. yeah, so I tend to have, um, I would say it's kind of for me, for just me, it's about like 50, 50 on selling from my page versus from live sales. Mm Um, and So with live sales, you're just showing off the items people can buy all at once. And you can also actually get the opportunity to talk about your item. So just like you were saying on that QVC, what they're talking about on there is they're talking about the different ways you can wear something, you can style Mm -hmm. something, the different ways you can use something, how unique it is. Um, And the only way we can do that is through our live sales we can actually talk about the history of the items or um how they could be used and styled in your home and um oh during live sales we're able to take requests you know people can be like hey i'm looking for blue drinking glasses and it's like oh somebody has those and you show them off and they end up purchasing that so we can often find exactly what people are looking for um or it's like oh I don't have blue glasses right now but I'm going sourcing this weekend you know let me take down your name and then you're able to make those 
direct connections with people. So they end up purchasing from you. Yeah. No, you definitely build relationships. Like I notice this when I go to different Instagram lives with sellers where I see recurrent customers. Everyone knows each other. They're all like, hey, hi. You know, it feels, it does, it feels actually more like a Tupperware party than QVC because QVC, even though people could, yeah, right? Because like on QVC, people could call in, which was always like my favorite part. Like people call (laughs) in to be like, hi, I'm Carla. I'm calling from Florida. This is the seventh time I bought Joan Rivers makeup or whatever. (laughs) You know, I like love that. I love it so much. Right. But, uh, this is like different because it feels like real relationships are being born not only between the seller and the potential customers, but between the customers themselves. Ooh, yes. Yeah, I think that's they, really cool. Yeah, because the comments just pop up and everybody who's on the live, whether you're a seller on video or someone just watching, you can see all the comments. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's just like a big party a lot of the time um and just personally I work from home and I don't really have direct co-workers or I don't really I don't have like an office I go into um and, and so I love chatting with people online but lives are an opportunity for me to have like a face-to-face conversation with people <laughs> just I really enjoy the social aspect and yeah you get to know people and you figure out who you really like going live with and um you know who has particular products and um you come up with themes and stuff like that together so yeah I just really enjoy the social aspect and connecting with other sellers but as well directly with our customers because um we're essentially personal shoppers. Yeah. Uh, if you really think about it. Because, yeah, you make a request for, of me and I'm going to keep an eye out for it. Um, and we'll let you know first. I'll just send you a direct message being like, hey, this thing you asked for, I found. You know, if you want, I'll pick it up for you. Um, and so, yeah, I think people get a lot of enjoyment out of that because not everybody has the privilege of time uh, to be able to shop secondhand or shop so unconventionally. Mm-hmm. Um, because just, you know, let's face it, it's convenient as all heck to walk into a Target, walk to the drinking glasses aisle, um, and there's four different kinds of blue drinking glasses you can pick from. Um, and you just grab it and you go. I totally mm-hmm. get it. The convenience, you know, especially if... Um, you know, you're full time, you have kids, you know, your responsibilities keep piling up and you just need shopping to be convenient. Um, oh, totally. But- I feel like, you know, when people shop secondhand uh, from a reseller, what they're, I mean, yes, they're paying for the thing, but what they're really paying for is the service. Yes. And that's the service of the time, the cleaning, the mending, the touch-ups. And I think... You know, we're also obsessed with like getting a value, but I think that what happens is we have the wrong value in mind when we're complaining about pricing, right? Like, it's like, yes, you're getting the thing, but more importantly, you're getting this very special thing that someone found for you, Mm -hmm. cleaned, repaired, mended, whatever it needed, this thing that you were never going to find out on your own. Maybe if you spent 
months looking for it, maybe. Right. It's coming right to your door. Like, I think that that is what we need to, like, reframe. We get so hung up. When we think about value, we're always thinking about stuff. Yes. And sometimes the stuff. cost. Right, right. And sometimes the stuff isn't the value Mm -mm. or isn't the biggest part of the value. I mean, this is something I'm, like, constantly preaching about. But, like, we are so (laughs) hung up on stuff having more value than anything else. And so someone will say like, yeah, well, you bought that thing for $5. Why are you spending it, selling it for 50 It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, but that's not all you're getting. You're not just getting this thing. You're getting it's all so this true. other stuff, right? Right. So I don't know. I don't know how we drill that into people's heads, but I just think it's so important to remember that there's all this work going that is more than just you walking into the Goodwill, grabbing something and leaving. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, I think, especially from the outside, it can be hard to see how, especially with resellers being such like a broad term, but resellers do have skills and resellers do have, um, you know, way they know how to go about this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and something really interesting, I binge watched this show recently, it's called Swap Shop. Tell me um, more. It sounds great. It's incredible. Oh, my gosh. I don't know how I just found it. But so it's on Netflix. There's only two seasons um, okay. so far. I believe it's still coming out. But so Swap Shop is a radio show um, based in Tennessee. But so people call in and they're like, hey, I'm at such and such, you know, property, you know, Greensboro. Um, here's my number. Um, we have all this kind of stuff available. Just feel free to come on by. Um, and people will. And was getting their cars, and if it's close, you know, they'll drive over there. And um, so it's a giant network of resellers um, being able to connect through this radio show. Um, but so the TV show follows, oh, I don't know, maybe about half a dozen pairs of resellers. Mm-hmm. Um, based in kind of like Georgia, Tennessee, Kentucky, that area. And... Um, it's so interesting because they're all kind of friendly, but they all have their different expertise of what they're going for. So there's a pair of guys from Atlanta, um, and they're typically looking for, uh, sports memorabilia, um, Razorbacks, sneakers, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, 90s memorabilia. So that's what they're showing up for. And then somebody else is showing up for the furniture. Um, mm-hmm. And somebody else owns an auction house, you know, so they just take items and they don't refurbish them at all and just sell them at their auction house. And then um, somebody else, you know, mainly sells online. So it's interesting to see how they all like operate their businesses and then they end mm-hmm. up at these same places, you know, to source from. Um, but anyway, what I was specifically thinking of is there's this couple, um, the wife is from Japan. She moved to East Tennessee to study bluegrass music, which I think is just so cool. Fascinating already. Right? I'm just fascinated by that. Like you left Japan for East Tennessee. I grew up there so I can be like, that's wild. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wouldn't leave Japan for East Tennessee. No offense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, love you Smoky Mountains, but, but anyway, so she, they had met and so they had like a food truck and they do music, you know, just kind of do a lot of stuff, but they're resellers, specifically, um, American memorabilia selling to people in Japan. Huh. 
Right? So they were getting a lot of, like, vintage glassware. They loved anything that said, like, United States or had different states on them. Um, They picked up a pack of, like, paper Budweiser coasters. Um, And they were like, oh, we could get, like, $25 each for these in Japan. Um, And so it's just like, yeah, they can make that kind of money off of it because they know their market Um, totally they know how to sell that stuff it doesn't sound great to me to make 25 dollars off of a coaster like absolutely um but i don't know the first thing about connecting with customers in japan you know well right language totally and they have to send it over there (laughs) yes so they had to become experts in like the customs um, totally that's a lot so that's a ton of work on their end and they're able to do that because of their expertise and so just flat out I'm not gonna make $25 (laughs) on a coaster that's just not gonna happen right Um, right (laughs) and so it's interesting because they can talk about what they can do and it's just like oh you know you're gonna buy this thing for this amount of money and you can make that much you know why can't I just do that or why can't that guy selling it to you just do that um he just you know that guy who lives in East Tennessee and is trying to unload stuff from his old barn you know, he doesn't know. He doesn't know how to sell these things to people in Japan and ship them over there. Um, <laughs> and so he just, he doesn't have those skills and expertise. And so how he can make money is selling them these things, uh, selling that couple these items. Um, and it's just not his worry, you know, what happens after that. Because right. he wouldn't have been able to do the same thing. Totally. I mean, I think that that's what's really important is like no one is getting rich quick off of resale. Like, oh, gosh, it, no. It's so much work. No matter whether you're selling a co- coaster for 20 bucks or a bunch of T-shirts for $5, like there's so much work involved and risk. Yes. And you can't just like take some time off, you know, because like yeah. you don't get paid vacation when you're doing yes. that. And so I think that, like, we think – I mean, and to be fair, I do see, like, sometimes Poshmark will sort of market this idea of being a secondhand seller as something you're going to get rich off of really mm-hmm. easily. Like, it has a little bit of, like, MLM, Lululemon oh, vibes. Yes. Yeah, just buy this Lululemon and this Chanel and – you know, these things, and you'll just find them, and you'll yeah, sell you'll them just on find all- it out there. And it's like, <laughs> what no, do you, mean? you won't. No, you won't. You know, every time I talk about resale, like, there are always, like, the same questions come up. And one is like, well, what about people who go to TJ Maxx or something or buy stuff on sale at Target and resell it? And I'm like, here's the deal. If they are picking <laughs> the right stuff, which is a skill in itself – then they're going to sell it and make a living. Mm-hmm. Congratulations. If they're bad at it and have no skill and are randomly buying stuff or charging too much or all these other things, no one's going to buy it. Exactly. And then they'll have to figure it out and learn it the hard way and pivot from there. And that's the thing. Like people who get angry because someone's going to Target and buy all the clearance stuff and then reselling it. Hey, guess what? If people are buying it, then they're doing something really smart. Right? I mean, it's just like, like, I'm hey, not mad at them. Figure you know? out how to do that. And I don't know. It's just like, I mean, it's clearing stuff at Target. You know, it's like, what are they really taking, quote unquote, taking? Um, you know, it's like, where were these items going to end up anyway? You know, probably in the trash or shipped off to TJ Maxx where they also won't sell. 
Um, totally. I know. Right? That's like one of those things where I'm just like, y- y'all are mad and you don't need to be because there's no reason to be mad right now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's something about people. It's the fact that they make can make money off of that. I don't know if it's like, I wish I had done that or I'm mad that I like stayed in school for so long and didn't do that. I don't know. <laughs> and that could like, be going. That it. could be yeah, that could be part of it too. But I just do think that like people think it's easy. And even if you're just going to Target or TJ Maxx or whatever and buying the clearance stuff and reselling it, there's so much work. I mean people who resell on like Poshmark or Depop or Mercari, any of those platforms, like they have to also take photos and write oh, listings yeah. and deal with all the messages and everything else. And yeah, messages you're selling, and fees, right? And, oh, yeah. I mean, and it doesn't cost nothing to ship stuff. It doesn't matter if it's paper products or clothing. You know, you have to pay for materials to ship it, and the actual shipping itself. Totally, totally. And like your t- your time is valuable. You know, yeah. I was talking to another friend of mine who was like, I spend hours every week just responding to messages. Mm-hmm. Like not even – I don't even make money off of responding to messages. And there's hours of it. And I was it's like – part oh of a business. God. Yeah. I was like, I feel you because it's the same way with the podcast. Like oh, gosh. people aren't even buying anything from me. And I get <laughs> – messages all day every day and some of them are just like oh hey i just wanted to say hey or good job or whatever but then others are like here's a really complicated question that's going to be at least seven paragraphs to answer could you answer this for me in dm like what (laughs) you know i have a hard problem not answering even if it's a question like that where i'm like i don't have time for this anyway here's my detailed explanation (laughs) I know. That's the thing. I'm always like, I don't have time for this. All right. Well, I Googled all these different sources you could use. And here's my other advice. And like here's half an take. hour later, one message down, you know? And so I I get it. Like, but these are, this is like the unseen labor that a lot of people don't recognize. And like, it's, it's, it's work, you know? It like, is. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. And so like, like, when we're talking about someone selling stuff online, like we need to recognize that that's work too and that they should be paid for it. And that should be part of the selling price. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's like fine. If you don't think that person should be doing that, don't buy from them. Um, but at the same time, can we really blame anybody trying to make a living in America at this oh, point? Oh my God. Right. I mean, right. Cause I that's have the thing. a whole episode on that. It's like working class people being mad at working class people. Mm -hmm. And what we really should be doing is working together to make things more equitable in the world instead of being like, I'm mad that you sold a thing that one time. And it's like, yeah, you made money. Be mad at Elon Musk. Okay. Honestly, if we're going to be mad at people, like, let's take down. Like, (laughs) people who can spend $43 billion on Twitter. Exactly. I can't do that. I I can't even spend forty three dollars on Twitter, you know. I was I always will like tell Dustin. I'm like people are sending me DMs on Instagram, like I'm Jeff Bezos, and like I am sorry. Save your anger for him and not for me. Go be mad at Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or all these other people who don't give a fuck about you know quality of life for so many human beings. And so. Yeah, I think, I mean, the whole resale thing, it's just been so controversial for so long, and it really doesn't need to be. And, like, you know, if you want to be mad about prices going up at thrift stores, because I'm sure this is something you see out there, too. Oh, yes. You know, ultimately, places like the Goodwill, 
they give that stuff that they're selling for free. For free. So they're making a conscious choice to sell it for the price that they're selling it for. And, you know, part of that is because they need to pay rent, electricity, transportation, all the workers there. Right. Price tags, cash registers, music, air conditioning. right? Again, the kind of like unseen. Right. Plowing the parking lot when it snows, emptying the dumpsters, like moving stuff around, like bags, all these things, right? And that like – that's why you pay for stuff at Goodwill. Of course, exactly. Goodwill is also, you know, technically nonprofit, but kind of operates like a for-profit company. Right, right. And so those, if I, I don't know, like the prices being higher at thrift stores, that's the choice of the thrift stores. It has nothing exactly. to do with resellers either. Yeah, it's such an interesting take um, that higher prices at thrift stores are like directly related to <laughs> resellers or – I don't know. I see comments like really, even from fellow resellers, like really setting resellers out as kind of like villains. Yeah. Um, you know, like, you know, pouncing on products at the stores and, um, you know, leaving with a cart full of stuff. And it's just, I just, I don't see any evidence for someone leaving a store where the cart's full of stuff and that store just has nothing else to offer. Oh, good word, no. There's so much stuff. It's, there's so much stuff. My daughter was working for the Goodwill uh, in 2021. Yeah. And they said that, like, only 10% of the stuff that came in ever made, even made it out on the sales floor. Oh, my goodness. Because the pickers, I think that's what they're, sorters, that's what they're called. Oh, The sorters have to be so picky Mm. about what goes out on the floor because way more comes in than could ever be accommodated on the floor. Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, why aren't we taking personal responsibility for just unloading our stuff at Goodwill? Exactly, exactly. (laughs) I know. I mean, I've heard stories and people donating stuff that they know that's not donatable. Oh, just straight up trash. Yeah, straight up trash, straight up trash. And so, you know, I think that we like, we look at, for some reason, we've decided to villainize these resellers. Yes. But the reality is that, like, I mean, much like you got into resale during the pandemic because, like, other stuff wasn't working out, right? Mm-hmm. So many people have been turning to reselling yes. and will continue to because it allows them to make a living, whether mm-hmm. it's because they've got kids at home, they're unemployed, they're unable to get a job, they need a second income. God knows we all got to have, like, 73 jobs to make a living now. Yeah, resale might be one of them, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it's so interesting to be in this day and age of, like, fighting for 15 and, you know, all jobs are good jobs and all labor is valuable. And it's like, why is reselling exempt? I don't know. I don't know. And I just, maybe, I don't know. With reselling, like, you don't need anybody's permission to do it. Um, You know, like, you don't get hired by somebody. You just, you decide to do it and you're doing it. And so... I could see there being some like, so you just decided to do this and you just decide what the prices are and, um, you know, like you're just declaring this is how it is. Like, I don't know. There's, it's just like a direct line to like, yeah, I made these decisions. And it's like, who gave you the authority to make those decisions? And it's like, I don't need any kind of authority. You know, I'm just, I'm an entrepreneur and this is what I'm doing with my time. I think it's a little weird for other people to just see resellers just make these decisions of their own 
free will and it's like you don't have a boss you don't have someone declaring what you have to do um Mm -hmm. it's like i don't know they're not like for the high prices at you know prices at thrift stores you're not really blaming the employees and you shouldn't be um Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. they're just having to do what's coming down from corporate and it's like oh okay well it's just what corporate decides you know why aren't you upset at corporate (laughs) that they made that decision to up those prices so much and I don't know it's the fact that resellers are just like yeah these are what the prices should be I declare that um and it's I can I don't know maybe it's a little intimidating or something yeah yeah I don't I don't know I mean like what I've heard from some people who work in thrift stores or have at some point in the past yeah. couple of years is that often the thrift stores themselves are kind of like villainizing resellers as well and don't oh, really want yes. them to come in and buy things but for like no particular reason mm-hmm. because it's like no matter what the thrift store is getting their cut exactly you know I I it's there's just like this villainization of resellers that makes no sense and it's coming from all ends and you know once again like they're doing a legitimate service like I work constantly I don't have time to go thrifting all the time like I used to exactly so I'm excited to be able to buy secondhand items that I otherwise I'd be at Target you know what I yes. mean like Buying, it's great like, canvas decor and yeah you know, just like stuff that everybody has I mean it's exactly. Just, Exactly. I think it's just such a service. If you're enjoying this episode, then this is a great time to remind you that my work here at Close Horse is made possible by the support of listeners like you, just like NPR, and these great small businesses. Please go give them your support. Blank Cass or Blanket Coats by Cass, is focused on restoring, renewing, and reviving the history held within vintage and heirloom textiles. By embodying the love, craft, and energy that is original to each vintage textile as I transfer it into a new garment, I hope we can reteach ourselves to care for and mend what we have and make it last. Blank Cass lives on Instagram at blank underscore Cass, and a website will be launched soon at blankcass.com. Located in Whistler, Canada, Velvet Underground is a velvet jungle full of vintage and secondhand clothing, plants, a vegan cafe, and lots of rad products from other small sustainable businesses. Our mission is to create a brand and community dedicated to promoting self-expression, as well as educating and inspiring a more sustainable and conscious lifestyle, both for the people and the planet. Find us on Instagram at shop underscore velvet underground or online at www.shopvelvetunderground.com. St. Evans is a New York City-based vintage shop that is dedicated to bringing you those special pieces you'll reach for again and again. More than just a store, St. Evans is dedicated to sharing the stories and history behind the garments. 10% of all sales are donated to a different charitable organization each month. For the month of April, St. Evans is supporting United Farm Workers Foundation, mobilizing farm workers and their organizations across the country to advocate for more equitable policies. New Vintage is released every Thursday at wearsaintevens.com with previews of new pieces and more brought to you on Instagram at where underscore st 
Evans. That's where St. Evans. Country Feedback is a mom and pop record shop in Tarboro, North Carolina. They specialize in used rock, country, and soul and offer affordable vintage clothing and housewares. Do you have used records you want to sell? Country Feedback wants to buy them. Find us on Instagram at Country Feedback Vintage and Vinyl or head down east and visit our brick and mortar. All are welcome at this inclusive and family-friendly record shop in the country. Republica Unicornia Yarns. Handmade yarn and notions for the color obsessed. Made with love and some swearing in fabulous Atlanta, Georgia by head yarn wench Kathleen. Get ready for rainbows with a side of giving a damn. Republica Unicornia is all about making your own magic using small batch, responsibly sourced, hand-dyed yarns, and thoughtfully made notions. Slow fashion all the way down and discover the joy of creating your very own beautiful hand-knit, crocheted, or woven pieces. Find us on Instagram at republica underscore unicornia underscore yarns and at www.republicaunicornia.com. Picnicware, a slow fashion brand ethically made by hand from vintage and dead stock materials, most notably vintage towels. Founder Danny has worked in the industry as a fashion designer for over 10 years, but started Picnicware in response to her dissatisfaction with the industry's shortcomings. Picnicware recently moved to rural North Carolina, where all their sewing and accessories are now designed and cut, but the majority of their sewing is done by skilled garment workers in New York City. Their customers take comfort in knowing that all their sewists are paid well above New York City minimum wage. Picnicware offers minimal waste and maximum authenticity. Future vintage over future garbage. Cute Little Ruin is an online shop dedicated to providing quality vintage and secondhand clothing, vinyl, and home items in a wide range of styles and price points. If it's ethical and legal, we try to find a home for it. Vintage style with progressive values. Find us on Instagram at Cute Little Ruin. The Pewter Thimble is a curated secondhand shop based out of Rome, Italy. Owner Desiree Marie Townley has a background in costuming and makeup for dance and opera and focuses on dressing for the character you want to be in the world. Curated collections are dropped in a story sale and always have a specialized theme, like the color palette of Starry Night, the film classic Casablanca, and the children's novel The Secret Garden. Desiree works with local artisans, and pieces are rescued from markets and rehabilitated and resold with worldwide shipping. The Pewter Thimble is a collection of pieces that will have eternal style from the eternal city. Discover more on Instagram at The Pewter Thimble. So I don't want to steal all of your trade secrets because I want people to go to Reseller Social to learn more. Okay. But, but I wanted to ask, like, you know, something that has come up a few times, whether you realized it or not, is this idea of, like, sort of skill and strategy involved in being successful as a reseller. There was this, like, m- these meme videos that were going around, mm. like, eight years ago or something on Facebook <laughs> that would be like, I'm a visual merchandiser. What people think my job is, what it really is, that kind of thing. Oh, I 100% know what you're talking Remember? about. Remember? I they do remember. Like, those it was like six months they were around all yeah, the time it was like, I think what it was my on parents Facebook. think I do what my yeah, friends exactly. think I do uh-huh. exactly so I think the average person who's never been involved in resale or maybe is just like not even much of a thrifter or secondhand mm-hmm. shopper thinks that all you do is you get in your car <laughs> you drive over to the Goodwill you get a cart you fill it to the top you leave you go home you're done right 
I happen to know that anytime I set my mind on looking for something specific, it's going to take me minimally second, six months of oh, yeah. IRL secondhand shopping, right? Yeah. So what is your advice for resellers in terms of like, I don't know, like a strategy of attack for sourcing and yeah. figuring out and finding what to sell? Definitely. So... Again, we, you know, you had asked me earlier kind of what I wish I had known um, going into it. And if I'm being honest, like your best bet is really not to source from thrift stores unless ding, that's ding, all ding. you have. That's what I hear from everyone. <laughs> I mean, like I can say this as a very avid thrifter. Yeah. And a person who tries to shop secondhand first for everything in my life, whether it's like a colander or a pair of shoes, that when it. you are looking for something specific, if you are limiting yourself to thrift stores, it's going to take you a so really long. long time. And when you do find it, you feel like you won the lottery. Because, it feels so good. Right, right. <laughs> and so, like, I, this idea that, like, I get it that it's sort of perpetuated because some secondhand shoppers do at least use thrifting as part of their like sourcing method right. and they'll like post a video of them with the big cart at the Goodwill. But like oh, I yeah. know that's like one time out of 50 that they've sourced because other times they're going somewhere else or they went and they only had one thing in their cart. You know, like yes. I just know how it goes. So yeah, definitely with thrift stores, it can be pretty hit or miss. Um and then, I don't know, I just, I never felt comfortable leaving a thrift store, particularly with, like, a giant cart full of stuff, um, because I, I am privileged to have a car, to have a functioning car with gas money. Um, I can go to any thrift store that I like, um, but I can, I can shop any, secondhand any way I like, um, because I have those privileges, and so, um... Oh, it could be, you know, sometimes mindful of buying too much at once. Um, but at the same time, I really don't judge resellers who do have a cart full of stuff. Um, because whenever they're showing off the thrift store, there's tons of stuff on the shelves. Um, I don't think, I mean, obviously I cannot speak for all resellers, but, you know, we're not trying to go into barely stocked stores and take what little bit no they have like yeah. it's not you're not all a bunch of monsters <laughs> we're just we're not we're not monsters and if i walk into it hasn't happened to me because colorado um has an abundance of secondhand but if i walked into a thrift store and there's barely anything there you know maybe i look around for myself you know just to see what they have but yeah i'm not sourcing for my store from there um because, yeah, it's just it's not abundant. I don't know the situation of the community. Um, and then just back to advice for reselling, it's really not your best bet um, in terms of quality of the items, you know, they're, the state that they're in, um, and the cost. I mean, it, it seems like not a big deal to spend five dollars on something, but if you but if it's fragile and you want to be making a profit, you know, it's probably got to be priced at $30 mm -hmm. um, to make a decent profit off of it. And sometimes you need to look at that item and it's like, gosh, is this worth $30? And right. Like, and if it's not, you know, you're going to have to sell it for a lot less and you're not going to be profiting in a way you should be. Um, and so, 
that I'm very picky when I'm in thrift stores. And I honestly, I haven't been going to thrift stores for a while because I found the Goodwill outlets in the Colorado Springs. Um, and I've been obsessed <laughs> ever since my first trip. Um, and so, so yeah, I've really, it's another hard lesson to learn, but you are a business and you should be bringing down your overhead as much as possible. Um, mm-hmm. and so that includes what you're spending on these secondhand items. And so my preference is definitely going to estate sales, um, especially like the later into the estate sale you go, um, the more deals Interesting. Okay, that is a great pro tip there because yes, I think a, a lot of us think you got to go like first thing. No, estate sales are so interesting. I had never been before I started this shop, and there is just a lot to just learn by word of mouth, learn by showing up. And I have um, pretty bad anxiety, and so that was not great. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm yeah, like, no, it no. is not for me. I can't handle. I, I need a detailed guide. I need photos of what I'm doing. <laughs> um, so some of it's just like you just got to chill out. Uh, nobody's gonna yell at you. I mean, they're very relaxed environments, even though you're going into someone's home. Um, but yeah, stuff like estate sales. Yeah, usually the last day of the estate sale will be fifty percent off all tags. Um, at the least, sometimes it's even higher. Um, a lot, I hear a lot of people just be like, yeah, I went and none of this stuff sold and they just gave it to me. Um, wow. That is a very pro tip. Yeah. Because again, (laughs) overhead, like they're giving it to you for free, but they would have lost money having to transport it somewhere else. That's right. And And get rid of it somehow. They would have dropped it off at the Goodwill, and most of that would have gone exactly. in the trash, and then the Goodwill would have paid to transfer it somewhere and else. And they could have just given it away for free. And so that's why that ends up happening sometimes, is people don't want the hassle and the cost of having to figure out what to do with it. Um, yeah, And they've yeah, had totally. multiple days of making money on other items. Um, so... So yeah, I've shown up, I've like won an online auction, showed up at the house to pick it up. And there's like a shelf of stuff that didn't sell, um, that they're, you know, giving away, doing for $5, you know, something like that. Um, so yeah, if you want the deals, definitely go later into the estate sale. But if you're looking for something, like you saw something online that was really cool, uh, you'll want to be like in line early as possible to the estate sale, um, and yeah, once they let you in, you just dart for that item, um, which is interesting. <laughs> Too stressful. <laughs> I know. I'm not one of those people. Like I said, that is not my vibe. Um, I am not about to fight somebody over some vintage. Um, I'll get there a little later, and I still always find good stuff. <laughs> um, so yeah, I really recommend estate sales. Um, they can be lower, a lot lower in cost. Um, also usually like you'll buy a bunch of stuff and they'll be like, eh, let's do 30 for the whole lot. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of it just being particular prices. So I go to estate sales and then the bins are really a game changer. The Goodwill outlets, um, where you pay by the pound. Mm -hmm. Um, so with that, you know, you're not paying an individual, I, for individual items and yeah, you're just paying by its weight. So I go in and I fill up like an Ikea bag worth of stuff <laughs> and I'm like lugging it around in there. And I think the most I've ever walked out of there spending was like 40 bucks on my 
giant Ikea bag. Wow, um, yeah. And so, yeah, with everything in there, when you break it down, you know, I'm getting this stuff for cents um, and stuff that costs or is really light. You know, I'm basically paying nothing for it. Um, and these <laughs> are the items that didn't sell in the Goodwill stores or, like mm-hmm. you were saying, that 90% that didn't end up on the shelves. Um, yeah, that heads to the trash or it heads to the Goodwill outlets. Um, and then the trash. And then the trash, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I like the bins because that stuff is, like, headed for the trash. Um, and sometimes stuff is, like, chipped or a little broken and it can still be perfectly valid. Um even though it's not up to Goodwill's standards. So, um, so yeah, I really enjoy going to the bins because it really brought down my bottom line in terms of what I'm spending on goods for the shop. And then I don't have to be increasing my prices as much, um, you know, as like gas is going up and, Mm -hmm. um, sourcing has started to go up, you know, especially in thrift stores. Um, so yeah, it's like, oh no, our reseller is going to become, having to, you know, push their prices up even more. And it's like, yeah, it's just like a fact of running I mean, a business. But again, we're yeah, not... Yeah, it's everything. We're not becoming millionaires, billionaires off of this. No, literally... <laughs> just trying to feed our families for the most part. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And this idea that, like, people who are resellers are greedy or evil capitalists or whatever. It's like, no, dude, we're just trying to exist within this system. Yeah, and it's just, you know? even if a reseller is making six figures, I, I don't think they should be villainized you know they're just good at what they do um and there's plenty of goods to go around and again making six figures is not raking in the billions you know making big (laughs) big impact you know cutting down bridges to fit our yachts you know that's not (laughs) exactly it's not gonna be us everybody I know even like my friends who I would say like are successful resellers yeah they are all like they're doing okay but like they don't have much of a safety net oh they might not have health insurance they have a really hard time taking time off mm-hmm. they're working like 24 hours a day sometimes i swear and like you know their future is just as uncertain uncertain as a lot of ours where they're just like Truly. i don't know what's gonna happen you know and i think i think that's really important to remind everyone like yes being a reseller can be great for many different kinds of people and give mm-hmm. them access to making a living that maybe they normally wouldn't have because of like where they live right. or like you know, health issues or their children or whatever. But, like, no one is living this, like, luxurious, great life from it. Like, Mm-mm. they're working hard. Everybody's working hard and, For like, really hustling. For the most part, it's not yeah. their full-time job. Um, most resellers either have a different full-time job or have multiple part-time jobs, you know, in addition to reselling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, yeah, it definitely takes time. Um, to become like full time and be able to fully support yourself. Cause again, yeah, you're having to pay for your own health insurance, um, mm-hmm. any kind of sick Expensive. days, vacation, um, you have to save up to be able to take those, you know, you don't get paid for those. Um, right. or, um, something that was coming up, especially with the Etsy strike is, People, not everyone has um, the privilege to be able to take time Mm -hmm, off from their mm -hmm. job. Um, You know, if they are going to take a week off, they have someone else watching their shop and shipping out items. And um, 
you know, we don't, we don't get sick days. We don't get vacation. Um, so yeah, there's definitely like, yeah, we don't have, we're our own bosses and we create our own schedules. Um, but we're having to pay our own whatever, you know, I don't have a job that pays Mm -hmm. for the gas I spend driving around doing my business stuff. Um, and yeah, we have to pay our own fees on all these listing sites. Um, which is why you and I were talking about why people use Instagram, um, and it's avoid a lot of those listing fees. Um, especially when you're trying to figure out how to make a profit and then got these listing fees coming out and it's Mm -hmm. like, cool, I made negative $4 on that sale. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, it has a lot of pros, but also, yeah, it's scary not to have a 401k, you know, it's scary Mm -hmm. not to have this guaranteed, um, check every month. Or every two it's weeks. super scary. Yeah. It's I like, totally you know get what it. money you're getting on which day. <laughs> um, yeah. And you can make plans. And definitely for resellers, it's more up in the air. And, and that's why um, it is so um, I'm kind of in awe of resellers who are able to make that much money and fully support themselves because you just, you know, all the hard work that went into yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. It didn't just like happen, mm-hmm. you know. And it kind of can seem like it can just happen. I mean, that is that's the myth, right? right. Like there are plenty of makers too who oh, I think yes. people think are like making a killing and it's like actually like maybe they've reached the point where a lot of people know who they are, but like how much do they really sell? How hard are they working? How much are they really paying themselves? Like it's so much more complicated. The reality is that as long as you are one person doing your job, there is a ceiling on how much money you're ever going to make. For sure. And that is why people get into, you know, like starting their own line and doing mass production, Mm -hmm. wholesaling and whatnot, because otherwise there's a pretty low ceiling. And I'm not saying that either answer is right, but I understand why these things happen because there is a lot of privilege involved in being able to just be like, I'm a one person show and I have a great life. And I, you know, like I travel all the time or Mm -hmm. something like that. Like it's, it's, it's not as black and white. I mean, I, I always say, like, black and white thinking, I am skeptical of any of that. Yes. Or someone, something or someone is fundamentally wrong or right, and that's that. And I think there's just a lot of that thinking going on about resale, and it's because no one's spending the time to think about how much more complicated it really is. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely kind of – it's interesting because if you go on Google and you just Google, like, reselling or what is reselling, you know, and it'll fill in – Um, Oh, totally. (laughs) And what pulls up first is just like, is reselling bad? Um, And I'm like, what kind of question is is that? I know. I Um, know. You know, it's kind of hard to find that many things, which is like 100% through and through, this is bad. Um, And it's just like interesting, too, because bad can mean so many things. And it's like, do you mean bad for the environment? Do you mean bad for the economy like what's the bad here and so yeah it's interesting that people will just kind of take this blanket approach blanket statement um reselling is bad and you know you kind of dig a little deeper you're like where did you hear that what did what do you mean by bad um you know what what's 
how are you backing up these claims? You know, they usually can't really follow up um, on those questions. And just, and it's not like I'm trying to argue the opposite point, you know, 100% good, because you're also going to be hard pressed to find anything that's just like 100% good. Um, it's true. It's true. Every food you eat, every supplement you take, every place you go, every it's a little complicated. And so everything, yeah, everything. Yeah, life is complicated. Is complicated the right? Whole, the whole, the whole basket of life is complicated. At it's this point. yeah. I would say that's a great motto. Someone should embroider that on something. <laughs> I would probably buy it. Um, oh my goodness! But yeah, I do think like you know this idea that reselling is bad is something that has been repeated so often. It was an opinion uh, and emotional reaction yeah. that turned into fact. And like another example of untrue statements becoming fact is something that I have received a lot when I talk about mm. uh, so-called vegan leather being plastic. Oh, um, you know, bet. and one, you know, there are many ways to, oh my God, this is not an appropriate uh, <laughs> uh, euphemism. There are many ways to skin a cat, right? Oh, yes. Um, Right. So when we talk about like vegan leather versus leather, it's very complicated. There's no easy answer. And when we talk about like, you know, one really great option for some people is secondhand leather. So mm, yes, I get a lot of messages from people that say, the thing about secondhand leather mm-hmm. is that when people see you wearing it, encourages them to buy brand new leather. Oh, I've heard and I'm this like, too. do you have any data? Is there like a study that proved that? Because just in my experience as a buyer, where I'm constantly thinking about people's consumer behavior, I can tell you that I have never seen a direct correlation between secondhand leather and new leather because the price difference is pretty astronomical, mm-hmm. right? Like you could maybe get a secondhand leather jacket for 50 bucks, but a to- brand new one is going to be like 500. It's to- two totally different people. And in my experience, actually, what secondhand leather may lead to, if it's going to lead to anything, is people buying vegan leather because <laughs> oh, they see true. it, right? right? And like even still, I have I, I can't see – any statistics around that but I would tell you like when I was working at one of my jobs where we sold both real leather and it was all like $500 oh wow and then like fake leather that was like 60 for every one real leather jacket that we would sell uh-huh. we'd sell like 500 fake leather ones wow. and I I think this idea that seeing secondhand leather leads to purchasing new leather is so erroneous yeah and yet it's being repeated constantly and i feel like it was probably one day someone was like well seeing secondhand leather might lead people to buy brand new leather right. and someone, and someone was like it. oh right right and, and i think it. that's repeated it and repeated it and i feel like that's what happened with this whole like reselling is bad it hurts poor people it hurts people of color it is greedy it's capitalist blah blah, blah. it takes it takes away clothes from thrift stores all this stuff like I think it's been repeated so many times that an opinion turned into a fact. Yes. And, and it's like, any, and it's always yeah. like, I heard it on the internet. <laughs> exactly. A place that where everything you read is 100% true. Obviously. <laughs> uh, but I feel like it's like up to us to like debunk this as much yes. as possible. Because if people could hear enough that reselling is bad and believe it's a fact, then perhaps if they heard enough that reselling is good – they would turn that into a fact. Oh, I don't wow. know. That's such a good point. I like your thinking. I like your thinking. <laughs> it's just so interesting for people to say that, like, someone wearing secondhand leather is going to encourage people to buy 
brand new leather. And it's like, I don't, I also agree, I don't see that. And it's like, and yet we're not really criticizing, like, I don't know. It's also like, I'm sorry, but how many people do you have following you on Instagram? What, like a hundred that you're posting about your secondhand jacket? Like, (laughs) right. Like, I don't really see it. But it, like, if you're like a celebrity, if you're Kim K, you know, posting on your Instagram page about your brand new leather outfit, um, yeah, all those millions of people are going to be like, I want to be like Kim K and go out and buy brand new leather. So yeah, I just, I could see that with like a celebrity promoting something. It's like you, with that kind of platform, you do want to be more careful about what you say because millions of people are listening and watching. Um, But no, I mean, you wear a secondhand leather jacket. It already existed. It was going to go in the trash if nobody bought it. Um, And yeah, you're walking down the street and someone says, oh my gosh, I love your jacket. You know, thank you. It's secondhand. Um, You can get them for so inexpensive that way. So by us wearing secondhand clothes and us having secondhand home decor, um, and you spread the word, you spread the message. I got that secondhand. Totally. That's what we do. I love this secondhand shop. You know, I love this local thrift store. Um, uh, Oh, if you really want to get into secondhand shopping, you know, we should go to some estate sales on the weekends together. Um, But yeah, spreading that word because we do all have these little bitty platforms, little bitty communities. Um, And yeah, that way we spread the word enough and it becomes a bigger movement. Um, But yeah, it's interesting how sometimes we want to take the what seems like the easy answer, what seems like the less complicated thing. Um, And yeah, vegan, leather vegan. I'm told vegan is good and leather Mm -hmm. is bad. Um, and then, yeah, you're not really knowing about the process that goes into making it, you know, the carbon emissions, um, the water, you know, all that kind of stuff going into making it. Um, but having a conversation about secondhand leather can get complicated. Um, and so, yeah, it's sometimes just easier to take the easy way out instead of thinking through like, oh, this is actually not what I thought it was. Right, right. Unfortunately, that's like where we are. Like, there's no easy answer to anything, mm-hmm. yeah. and 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 we need to do our own due diligence on every decision we make. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I had this where thought we are. the other day, and I was like, "What?" I was like, "This is a wild thought." But what if we took responsibility for what we were bringing into our homes? Like, we took responsibility for our pets. You know, we mm-hmm. thought put more thought into what we were buying, you know, not just buying stuff because it's on sale or because we're told it's popular or because it's trendy, um, taking more responsibility for what we're buying. And once it's in your home, having to take personal responsibility. Um, I think if we had to take personal responsibility for where everything ended up, people would bring a lot less into their homes. Uh, throw, oh, totally. You know, not throw stuff out so easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we could solve a lot more problems that way if we took more personal responsibility because it's just so easy to unload it off at Goodwill, just throw things away because mm-hmm. you're running out of time. Um, but yeah, what if we had to take personal responsibility for everything we bought and brought into our homes? 
I mean, I love that. If <laughs> Like right now, it's just too easy to be out of sight, out of mind, yes, right? Yes, I mean, yes. and we've all gotten used to that. But I remember when we first moved to Portland years ago and like instead of living in an apartment building where we could put stuff in a dumpster, mm. now we have like one little tiny trash can and it was tiny. Yeah. And like I think they only took our trash every other week. And so it oh. turned into this like hugely stressful thing to minimize our trash yeah. in every way. And honestly, it like – pushed us into a lot of new habits Mm -hmm. that have stuck with us since then, you know? And imagine if we had taken it to the next level and not only did we were limited to this like one bag of trash every two weeks, but then we had to take it to the landfill ourselves. Yeah. I mean, that would be majorly impactful, Mm -hmm. right? Or when you're like, you know, trying to rehome your stuff instead of dumping it at the Goodwill. Imagine if you literally had to like meet each person face-to-face who was going to take it, like, that would have an impact on you as well. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, I'll tell you, one of the best ways to get – to really understand the full scope of what you own and have brought into your home is to move. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, when we moved from Pennsylvania to Austin, I was like, I'm ready to go – no possessions yeah. in the future. We just like That'll live in an empty house real fast. Yeah, yeah. And I think that like we just don't have enough opportunities where we're confronted by the impact of our stuff. No, I agree because it's so interesting. In like a hundred years, you know, we went from if you needed something, you figured it out yourself. You know, mm-hmm. if you needed milk, you were milking a cow. If you needed um, <laughs> some wall art for your wall, you made it. Right. You made it yourself. Right. <laughs> your clothes. Yeah. If you needed you clothes, know. you made them um, because, you know, trips to the quote unquote, you know, local store were infrequent and not easily accessible um, and sometimes above your means. Um, and so you just had to figure it out. Um, and now we're in the completely opposite space where everything is so convenient and we don't have to see or think at all about the process behind how something got to us, then it makes it so easy to get rid of it. Um, you know, you had to make any art yourself. So if you were going to make it, you were going to pick something you definitely liked, um, that you were definitely going to keep. Um, You know, it's getting passed down through your family. Um, And today, I mean, there's like a million different ways to buy wall art. And then your style changes and you just get rid of all of it. Um, Oh, totally. You know. God, there's so much recent wall art at every thrift store I go to. Oh, so much, so much. Because people go through phases in their decorating. And I'm a big decorator. I'm a maximalist. And there's stuff everywhere. Oh, me too. (laughs) Definitely a maximalist. And so I totally get, like, wanting to decorate a lot um, and kind of wanting to change things up. And so I will admit I was that person, you know. I just, like, got rid of stuff when I was tired of it. You know, I picked up stuff because it was cute in the moment or inexpensive. And I didn't really think about how long it was going to be in my home. Um, and so it's just like, like you were saying, kind of a shift in thinking, a shift in how we're framing things. Um, Mm -hmm. and so now, you know, I still buy home decor, but it's because I know it's not replacing 
something else. You know, I want to add it to what's going on in my home. And if I need to decorate so badly, you know, I rearrange stuff. I come up with a new, mm-hmm. you know, new places to have things, new theme in the bathroom. You know, you change it up um, and put stuff away in storage. And then you bring that stuff back out when you're tired again. You're like, oh, I didn't even remember I had this. This is cool. <laughs> you know, yeah, put it back it's true. Up. Um, but yeah, it's just so easy for things to be first to to throw things away and we don't think about where away is or, um, you know, it doesn't stop existing. It just goes somewhere else, but you don't have to think about that. Right. Right. It's too easy. It's too easy. And I think it's time for us to like kind of hit the pause button and really think about it. It takes effort. Sure. But like making change takes effort. Yes. Yeah. That's such a good statement. Um, it's like something I have to remind myself all the time because I'll be like, uh, why is everything so hard? I'm yes. tired of thinking about things. But like, that's the answer. Unfortunately, we got to think about it. And we got to like, slow down and do the do the work to like reflect. Yes. And because, because we don't have to drive our stuff to the landfill and dispose of it there personally. Mm-hmm. We need to mentally drive it to the landfill. Yeah. And see what that feels like. Yeah, really take stock. And again, you know, it's so easy to donate stuff to thrift stores. But how much of that ends up in the trash, you know, you were talking about your daughter working there. So little Ugh. ends up on the shelves. But again, in your mind, you know, you donated it to the, st- the thrift store and they're going to figure out what needs and, to like, happen with don't. it. And they don't. They don't. They yeah. don't. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We, we think they will, but that's not actually what they agreed to. Right, right. It's like when you're a kid and you're like, well, my parents will figure everything out. Oh, my gosh. Those were the days. <laughs> those were the days. They, the spoiler is that they weren't figuring it out either. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler, they, nobody knows what they're doing. Um, but nobody it seemed does. like they did when we were little totally, kids. Totally. <laughs> totally. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. Oh, actually. yeah. It flew by. Uh, I, had such, I know. It really did. I just want to know, is there like any other like – parting words of wisdom or like just one final thought you want everybody to when they think of you to think of (laughs) no pressure or anything no pressure at all no pressure um but yeah I think um something that really sticks with me is um thinking secondhand first um so yes thrifting is my job you know buying secondhand is my job so I'm around it all the time so it's really convenient for me you know, to pick up items for my home. Um, But just instead of, you know, your first thought being getting online and adding something to your cart to Amazon, um, stopping in Target, um, and just having that be your one stop for the day. um, If you can try to start thinking secondhand first, um, and Mm -hmm. that can be, you know, Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, that can be Poshmark, that can be Instagram, that can be your physical local thrift stores. Um, but yeah, just having that be your first instinct to go one place secondhand. Um, and even if you find just a couple of things you needed for your home or a couple of things you needed for your kid's school project, um, you know, those are things that you didn't buy new. Um, those Mm -hmm. are things that you saved off of the shelves. Um, very possibly something that wasn't going to get purchased was going to end up in the trash. And, So I think that's what I want to impart because it can seem intimidating, especially for people who like mostly shop secondhand. It's like, oh, how do you get to that point? And it's like, we're not trying to get every single person to that point. But if we could just get a lot more people to think secondhand first, 
uh, could really change. It could really change how we operate. 100%. I love that. And I think, you know, it's like baby steps. Maybe you just start with like, I don't buy any new kitchen stuff. Yeah, just one little change, Mm -hmm. you know, for this room in my house or yeah, I'm going to stop buying wall art. Um, Because I yeah, and I I don't 100% shop secondhand. It's it's very hard to get to 100%. Um, It is. Sometimes you need something and you just can't find it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, or you need it like fast and like yes. that happens sometimes, but sometimes what you think you need fast and easily like blue drinking glasses or something <laughs> is you actually have plenty of time. Yeah, it's and like I, you want it right now. You want it right now. And it's so easy right. to just like, have that take a need step fulfilled. Back. Yeah, just like take a take a beat. Do you really need this right away? Um, is it something that you could try to go secondhand first? And again, that's why resellers are here. If you don't have that time and energy to put into shopping secondhand, you know, we're here to make it easier for you and more convenient for you. Um, totally. And so, yeah, utilizing us as well um, to do your I secondhand bidding. It's true. It's true. Like, reach out to your favorite secondhand sellers and be like, I'm looking for this thing because we would love it. They're probably going to find it a lot sooner than you are. Like, it's, it's like I said, nothing delays finding something thrifting more than wanting it. Yeah. Don't <laughs> right? put it out there. Don't say it out loud. I know. Don't think I, about it and you will find it. It's true. Like, I feel like a lot of us who are really into secondhand shopping have a lot of superstitions around it. Oh, so and like, true. Like, for my husband, it's like you can't get a cart when you first walk into the thrift store. Oh, You're not going to find anything. I'm like, That would drive me Justin, crazy. It's, it's terrible. I'm like, Justin, you need to knock it off. Like, now I'm carrying like 17 books no. around the store. And now I'm like, like, that's his superstition. And mine is like, I can't say out loud what I'm looking for, Mm -hmm. you know, like I have to, I can have it in my phone on a list, but like, I can't be like today I'm looking for some pot holders and a casserole and a dining chair or something. I mean, certain things are always going to be harder to find, but like, (laughs) I got to say one of my favorite chairs I got at the bins for $1.99. Yes. That's what I love to hear. I know. I know. Like it looked like no one had ever sat on it ever. That happens. Because yeah, I think that's another myth is that secondhand means used. Um, No. That's just proof of like how little we use some of our stuff. I know, right? I mean, you'll find stuff from the 70s that's still in the box. Totally. I have found so many amazing kitchen items that way. That were like still in the box, never used or... Man, furniture, the, like our couch we got at a thrift store in Pennsylvania right before we moved. And it was about $200. It's green velvet. I swear oh. no butt had ever been on that couch before. I mean, velvet, you would have known too. Right. Yeah. As I'm saying, like people think that secondhand means dirty, right? less than nice, like subpar. And none of that is true at all. And seriously, the amount of brand new inbox with price tags. Mm-hmm. Stuff I see, whether it's shoes, clothes, books, you name it. So much of it. Mm-hmm. So much of it. So much. Well, thank you so much, Lillian. This thank is such you, a delight. Amanda. We'll have to have you back again because I feel like we have oh. about 10 hours more stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah, this was really <laughs> fun. And um, I love the conversations that you have with Clothes Horse. So I would be honored. Thank you again to Lillian for spending quite a few hours with me. You know, what you hear right here in this recording is just one small part of 
so much time that both the guests and I put into each episode. We have a pre-recording call where we'll talk for an hour or two and I'll listen to the guest stories and create an outline of the conversation we're going to have when it's time to have the recording session. Of course, sometimes that outline goes straight out the window, but I try. It always works out, right? (laughs) And a lot of the guests put in extra time researching, organizing their thoughts, even writing out their ideas so they have them pulled together when we record. And I'm so appreciative, so grateful for the work that every guest puts into Close Horse. I think Lillian and I could record another, I don't know, three, four more episodes together. So I'll be sure to get her to come back again. And I know... You wanted to come back too because her voice is just makes me, it's just so soothing. It makes me so happy. I love it. Anyway, in the meantime, go give Lillian a follow on Instagram at Retro Colorado Goods and at Reseller Social. And of course, I'll include those links in the show notes. Before I tell you to leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and thank Dustin for the music and audio support, I want to leave you with one last round of thoughts. Let's let's go back in time to like, I don't know, an hour and 45 minutes ago when I broke down those pillars at the top of this episode. They were progress, not perfection. The personal is political. Slow fashion is for everyone. Small business is the future. Secondhand first and collaboration over competition. All of these are a roadmap to a destination. And that destination is collective action leading to change. It is bringing as many people as possible along on that journey. It is sharing our experiences and knowledge with others so they can benefit from what we've learned too. And you know what? It's supporting one another on the journey. A few months ago, I put together a post on Instagram dispelling the myths around secondhand sellers and shoppers. Basically, the myths that Lillian and I discussed earlier. One sentence from that post, well, really, it was a question. It really resonated with so many members of our community. And actually, this week, I saw it making its rounds on Instagram again. So I thought I would revisit it. I'm going to be real. Sometimes I write things and I forget about them pretty fast. <laughs> I'll be like, oh, wait, I wrote that. That's, I like, oh, that was by me? Wow. Oh, good job, Amanda. Anyway, I wrote, why do we tend to turn on one another rather than the larger systems and societal norms that are truly responsible? For years now, I've been seeing a lot of conversation, I'm sure you have too, by both professional political pundits and, you know, just people on Reddit around the liberal left essentially eating itself, just destroying one another, being more divisive rather than working together toward a common purpose. And while I will admit that, yes, I definitely see see that happening very often, especially on social media, where I really see it happening is in the space of the sustainability and slow fashion movement. I see people being shamed for buying fast fashion rather than asking why they are doing it and helping them move away from it. We can't assume that people don't want to do better. We should never assume that people don't care about the planet and it's, well, people. Because most people are 
good and they do care. Sometimes they just need a hand to get there. But what I see is judgment rather than education, shame rather than support. I see us beating ourselves up for not achieving perfection rather than applauding our own progress. Ask me about the time last year when our well pump was broken and we didn't have water for three days. We had to buy plastic containers of water and you know how I feel about plastic. I was beating myself up over it until Dustin said, hey, we will die without water. As I've said many, many times before, doing the right thing especially when it comes to sustainability, is rarely black and white. And the answer often lies in that nebulous gray space. In an ideal world, our well pump would have been replaced the same day. Or we could have driven somewhere that offered water in refillable containers. Or a neighbor could have shared water with us without risking drying out their well too. But we did the best we could. We bought a few plastic jugs of water and we drove to a somewhat nearby spring that had potable water and we refilled them. We had that luxury of driving to a place where we could refill water. Not everybody even has that. Nothing is simple, right? We're not set up for success in so many of the decisions we face every day. Somehow secondhand shopping and reselling became one of the most divisive topics within the sustainability community. I didn't see that coming two years ago, I'll tell you that. And it makes me sad because ultimately working class people are turning on working class people rather than uniting to take on the retailers and brands whose business models depend on waste and exploitation. Imagine, if you will, if we all work together against them rather than against one another. There's a lot of power right there. Ultimately, this conversation uncovers our tendency to blame individuals, in this case, resellers and new secondhand shoppers, for a larger problem rather than the systems, fast fashion, consumerism, capitalism, that are actually at the heart of all of these problems, whether it's rising thrift store prices or the declining quality of the clothing and items in these thrift stores, resellers and secondhand shoppers are responsible for neither of these problems. Rather than being angry at resellers, be glad that they're saving clothes from the landfill. Furthermore, they provide a service, as Lillian and I discussed, easy access to a curated assortment of secondhand clothing that is clean, repaired, and ready to wear. This might seem like a minor thing, but for many, thrifting and secondhand shopping is just not that accessible due to the time required to do it, the access to thrift stores or other secondhand shopping spaces, and of course, the materials, equipment, and skills required to clean and mend clothing. All of this requires work, time and skills. So yes, we should, and that's in all caps, should be paying resellers more than the thrift store was charging for any item. Are there unethical resellers out there? Sure. Unethical people exist in every industry and community. 
that doesn't mean we should be broadly vilifying resellers. Rather than being angry at new secondhand shoppers, be glad that they are making a more sustainable choice. We need everyone on board the secondhand first train if we're going to have an impact. All of these people, the resellers, the shoppers, people you see on social media, they are part of our community even if they don't know it yet. All of them are on the same team as us. Fighting them is fighting ourselves. And that's the enemy of progress right there because we need everyone involved in what we're doing to make significant change. Collaboration over competition, my friends. And that even applies to finding the good stuff at the thrift store. Thanks for listening to another episode of Close Horse. Written, researched, hosted, edited, all the things by me, Amanda Lee McCarty. If you like what you're hearing around here, please leave a rating or maybe even a review on Apple Podcasts and please tell a friend. Like I said, we need everyone on board the sustainability train. If you'd like to support my work, please check out patreon.com slash podcast to learn more. And thanks, as always, to Dustin Travis White, who does have a sore throat today, for the music and audio support. Bye. Bye.